Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. As we bring you the top news stories in Indiana agriculture, I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. I'll be joined by Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, and Elise Koning. Plus, your Indiana farm forecast is on the way from Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin. Coming up, Eric Pfeiffer reports on the labor shortage involving veterinarians. Also, National FFA Week was this past week, and you'll hear how FFA members from across the U.S. helped out with this year's service project and how the fruits of their labor were donated this past week to Indiana Charities. But first, it was one year ago Friday that Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine and started a war that many thought would last for only days or weeks. But that war has now lasted for 12 months. Quite honestly, I would not be surprised 12 months from now if we're still talking about it. And that's Carl Setzer, Commodity Risk Analyst with AgriVisor. When the Russian invasion first began, commodity prices shot up significantly. But Setzer says the ag markets have since stabilized. It's definitely been muted here. And the reason being is the knee-jerk reaction was, we're not going to get any wheat. That's where 20% of the world's wheat supply comes from. Corn shut off. And now, here 12 months later, it's the opposite. Matter of fact, there is so much grain flowing out of that Black Sea region, mainly Ukraine, into the European Union. They want it shut off because it's just killing their domestic market. Setzer says that the war's impact on Ukraine's corn and wheat exports weren't nearly as dire as first predicted. More of the crop got out. More was harvested last year. We're going to see some decent production this year. Now, it's not going to be back to pre-war levels, but it's going to be enough that when we add it into the rest of the global supply, it's going to be a fair amount. So, We're starting to lose that little bit of interest. But he also says that the war is still creating huge challenges for Ukraine's grain exports. Now, vessel loadings have slowed. It's an issue there. Only two and a half vessels being cleared inspections per day. Some chatter that Russia is going to shut down the corridor. I don't think Russia is going to do that. Russia is upset with the sanctions against them, and we knew they would be. But the thing is, Russia doesn't want any new sanctions either. So that's going to help keep that corridor open. Sets are adds that the ag markets have also stabilized because of the expectations that this war could last for quite some time. This could be a long, drug-out war, and when you have that, the market does tend to just kind of look away after a bit. That has started to happen here, barring some huge black swan event. And when you're dealing with countries like Russia and Ukraine, you cannot rule them out. Grain exports out of Ukraine are down nearly 29% compared to the same time last year, right before Russia's invasion. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. Last week, Mexican officials issued a new decree calling for a revised ban on imports of some biotech corn used for certain purposes. Eric Pfeiffer has more now on that ban, which went into effect immediately. It is perplexing um, why the president of Mexico has taken his people in that direction for so long. And that's Ted McKinney, former USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. Mexico's original decree called for an end to imports of genetically modified corn by 2024. McKinney believes Mexico's president needs to reevaluate how tenable 
the decree is. There's just no turning away from sourcing a product like we have, particularly yellow corn. And if they want to start transitioning to non-GM, okay, let's get the signals to do that and we'll happily do that. But then it's so, so expensive for his people. So he's got to redo his calculus, to be very honest. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack visited Mexico recently to share that the U.S. won't compromise or back down on its stance against the ban of GM corn. Current Undersecretary for Trade Alexis Taylor and Doug McCaleb, Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, echoed that sentiment in a follow-up trip. Instead of providing a science-based response, Mexico instead handed down this decree, doubling down on their stance and moving up their timeline. McKinney says he appreciates how strong Vilsack, Taylor, and McCaleb have been on the issue. Some GOP senators have called for them to take legal action against Mexico under USMCA. Many of us would like to have gotten this done in January because you need about a year to take an USMCA lawsuit forward. So every month that goes by, we're losing an extra month and therein taking in the threat of a um, decree getting enacted. But I think they've done the right thing. At sometimes you got to bite your tongue once, twice, three times, maybe even four times on this one. But I think the trend is in the right direction. I think it's going to be resolved. I'm appreciative that we've been strong and, and yet respectful. A ban on U.S. corn coming from our number one export partner would certainly be a huge blow to farmers. Lost in all this, as McKinney points out, is the technology companies like Corteva have had to sit back and wait before releasing new technology that would help farmers. I think they were ready to roll out a new trait, I think it was in corn, maybe corn and soybeans, uh, a year ago. And here now, maybe a second year they've been denied. And the same could be said for other technology providers, whether it's Bayer or Syngenta or others. The Mexican government also decreed it would continue to allow imports of biotech corn used as animal feed while exploring substitutes. Again, McKinney believes that the situation will ultimately get resolved. It might just take more time than we'd like it to. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. It's time now for your Hoosier Ag Today Farm Market Review as Andy Eubank joins us now. Thank you, CJ. It was a sell-off in the markets after a glimmer of hope in the overnight markets Friday morning, but then liquidation across many commodities, the equities, and corn, soybeans, and wheat, too. We have settlements coming up. First, some analysis. I checked in right near the end of trade with Brian Basting for comments. He's with Advanced Trading. It seems like on the macro side, Andy, we had some, some indications from a report that the inflation is not being tamed quite as much as we thought. Um, a report came out today with uh, inflation for the month of January. Uh, it's a different from the consumer inflation, but it's uh, from the producer side. But regardless, it, it was a little hotter than expected, for lack of a better phrase. But that, that has triggered a really significant sell-off here in equities and um, spilled over probably a little bit psychologically and into the grains. But the export sales report also came out at, at 8.30 year time and uh, had some little hints of, of concern there with corn from the standpoint of of, it was a decent sales total, uh, uh, not great, but um, but there were some cancellations by China, about uh, 2.75 million bushels. Um, so that is a, a yellow flag at bare minimum there that, that China is not only not buying U.S. corn, but they're actually canceling some of the outstanding sales. And it's a very small, outstanding sales book they have on anyway. 
So just to remind your listeners that, that China has been very active in the soybeans, continues to be very active in soybeans. But just to give you a perspective, last year on this date, that China had almost 300 million bushels of U.S. corn on the books to be shipped yet. They have got now uh, about uh, less than 15 million bushels. So that's about 90, whatever, 98, 99% below last year. So apples and oranges with the export market and corn has really, really uh, suffered here the last few days. There's really starting to be indications that the USDA is overstating exports in the balance sheet at the moment. South American weather has been a constant topic. What's the update there? That's helping to hold the beans together as such. Um, Conditions for Argentina continue to be poor. They've got some scattered rain in the northern areas this week and maybe a bit more next week, but it has been quite dry. Brian Basting, advanced trading economist there. The number 309-664-2314. On the Hoosier Ag Today, Friday Farm Market Review. Settlements a dime lower in the corn market by the end of trade. March 650, a dime and a quarter down. May an even dime down. Down at 649 and a quarter and July 638 and three quarters 12 cents off a nickel and a quarter off on the March beans 1529 May goes eight cents lower 1519 and a quarter and a 30 cent drop for March wheat 708 and a quarter livestock was mixed very quiet in the cattle market April live cattle up a nickel at 165.37 April lean hogs 86.02 down 17 you're up to date now on the markets we'll update you on the weather and more news coming up. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Who's Your Ag This Week. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765 587 318 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. A chilly start to the weekend, and we have a wet start to our upcoming work week. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Indiana Farm Forecast Weekend Edition. We ended the week this past week on a very soggy note. Significant moisture falling in parts of the state on Thursday. Thursday. Big rains are seen over the northern half to northern third. Lesser amounts down south, but it's leading to some very soggy conditions. And we're going to add to those here over the course of the next week. Bitter cold air came in behind. We rode the temperature roller coaster late in the week, and we then finished the week with well below normal temperatures on Friday. That's where we're starting things off today over the weekend. Chilly air for most of Indiana, and we see temperatures moderate a little bit to tomorrow. Should see sunshine today, sun followed by clouds tomorrow as our next weather event is here as we get things going on Monday. We're talking all rain with that system thanks to temperatures moderating. We're looking right now at a quarter to one and a quarter inches of additional moisture. So very soggy here as we flip the calendar from February into March with this system adding to the one that we saw last Wednesday into Thursday. Big rains there. Now going forward, after the system gets done at Monday night, we're chilling down a bit for this coming Tuesday, but then we're pretty dry with a mix of clouds and sun Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and now I'm extending through this coming Friday and Saturday. I think we run together a good five days worth 
of precipitation-free weather. Temperatures are going to be normal to slightly above. We're not talking about the big temperatures that we've seen here recently that are going to produce a, a decent amount of evaporation. No, probably not that, but we are not going to add any more moisture. I would call this March coming in like a lamb overall. Now, once you get out there toward the 5th and 6th, so the end of this coming weekend and into the start of next week, that's where things get a little more interesting. I'm seeing moisture kind of stacked up across the country. A little wave moving through the upper Midwest and Great Lakes getting ready to hit Monday morning the 6th. That's going to hit the Great Lakes, uh, Michigan in, in particular, hard. And then we have another system in South Dakota, Montana. Another one, Colorado, back into the Four Corners region. So my feeling is here we get pretty active for that first full week of March and we can string together a couple of systems that bring a good moisture back. All of that means our soil moisture profile is going to be saturated and maybe even excessively so depending on where you're at through the first half of March and it may also trigger additional rains coming toward the middle of the month. Right now temperatures are not looking to be super cold though. I'm Ryan Martin. At an Indiana dairy farm, long work days stretch into more labor after sunset. A newborn calf needs watching, barn needs cleaning. Tractor needs some handiwork for tomorrow's tasks. Just like in your own home, the day's chores are never done until the family beds down for the night. Dairy farmers and their families share the same dream with all of us, that what we all do is worthwhile. Bringing to market pure, safe, and healthy dairy foods is what they do, from Indiana's dairy families to ours every single day. Learn more at winnersdrinkmilk.com. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. As labor shortages continue to impact the ag industry, one field that you may not think of that's being impacted is veterinary medicine. Eric Pfeiffer reports now on the growing need for more veterinarians. There is a huge shortage of veterinarians. I don't think I've ever seen as many opportunities for veterinarians uh, in my whole career as, as we have now. That's Dr. Willie Reed, Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at Purdue. He says it's not just a shortage of veterinarians, but also veterinary nurses and technicians. Reed hopes that their new state-of-the-art facility on campus, the David and Bonnie Brunner Purdue Veterinary Hospital Complex, will encourage more young people to consider a career in the field. Reed says the facility that they moved into last May and June is very spacious. And it allows us to add uh, technology that we have not had. Also, it provides a safe, safer environment for our students, our faculty, and for our clients. And uh, it also allows us to, uh, in the future, expand our class size. And we're very excited about that. And it also supports clinical research. Uh, and so we're glad about that as well. The new facility appears to be drawing more interest. Reed is pleased to say that they have more applicants to the School of Veterinary Medicine than at any time in their 62-year history. So this year, uh, we, were, we are selecting 84 students from a total uh, applicant pool of 1,750. And that 1,750 is about double the number that we had uh, of applicants we had about uh, four years ago. So there's a lot of interest in veterinary medicine by young people and a lot of interest in students wanting to come to Purdue. <laughs> Hear my full conversation with Dr. Willie Reed at HoosierAgToday.com where we discuss what they're doing to encourage students to pursue large animal medicine 
and the shortage of vets in rural areas. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. A new rule is now in effect that started at the beginning of this year regarding the application of restricted-use pesticides, or RUPs. Hoosier Ag Today's Elise Koning has more. The previous rule stated that RUPs could be applied by individuals who were either fully certified or operating under supervision. Dave Scott, Pesticide Administrator for the Office of Indiana State Chemist, says the new rule was developed in response to changes the Environmental Protection Agency made in federal requirements. As a result, we revised our state rules to eliminate the pre- provisions for direct supervision of non-certified applicators. So now anybody who is using a restricted use pesticide has to be uh, fully certified. To aid in the transition, Scott says efforts this year will concentrate on helping individuals implement the new requirements and become certified. Assuming you're you're just applying pesticides by ground application, you'd pass a general standards or a core exam. So the requirement to become certified is the same for farm now that it has been for the last 30 years. Uh, The only deviation from that, if if you're a farmer that uses fumigants, there would be one additional exam you would be required to to take. Also, if you're a farmer uh, that may apply pesticides by aerial application, uh, you would have to take an aerial application exam as well. Scott says the rule change focuses on safety. It's important from a wildlife protection perspective, a personal protection perspective, a water quality protection perspective. Uh, It's important that folks understand potential impacts of the products they use. For more information, visit HoosierActToday.com. I'm Elise Koning. Well, over the past several months, Indiana Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch has been holding ag roundtables across the state to hear from farmers and ag business owners. We check in once again with Eric Pfeiffer, who recently caught up with the Lieutenant Governor at her last stop, in Crawfordsville. The number one theme I'm hearing is the importance of broadband and the importance of being connected to our ag communities. Crouch says that Indiana has been out in front of this issue compared to other states. We have invested so far today $268 million to connect Hoosiers throughout Indiana. When that's fully deployed, that will connect 75,000 Hoosier family and businesses. And so we are moving forward But we know we still have a lot of work to do, and rural Indiana depends upon it. It's the key to unlocking economic opportunity in Indiana. Agriculture contributes over $31 billion to Indiana's economy, and Crouch knows that providing connectivity for rural communities will only grow that number. We will continue to invest in connecting those Hoosiers, and we won't stop until every Hoosier is connected to the last mile. Crouch is also concerned about mental health across the state. It's unusual for a lieutenant governor to testify in support of a bill, but she did just that in support of Senate Bill 1 that focuses on mental health. She told Hoosier Ag today that mental health and addiction is a very personal subject for her. My mother struggled with depression. Uh, My sister Nancy, who was 18 months younger, died by suicide. Uh, My brother Larry uh, was two years older than me. Uh, We buried him in November. He was an alcoholic. Uh, So those Hoosiers that have really struggled through no fault of their own, it's because they inherit genes that predispose them to these conditions. They deserve an opportunity to be successful and happy and healthy. Crouch is pleased that Senate Bill 1 is moving forward. It was passed unanimously in the Senate and will now be heard in the House, where it also looks to have great support. 
I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Well, one of the key focus points of the ag industry is education and teaching young kids how the foods and milk products they eat and drink get from the farm to their dinner tables. Lance Summer is with Summer Farms Incorporated, which is a dairy farm in Adams County in northeastern Indiana. Lance says they help teach young people about the dairy industry by inviting kindergarten classes from nearby schools for tours of their farm. You know, these cows are huge compared to them, and that's always their first reaction is how big they are. Some questions over the years that you almost have to laugh at is, where does strawberry milk come from? They might see a red and white cow and think, hey, is that where strawberry milk comes from? So over the years, we've had some really funny questions, and hopefully we can educate these kids a little bit better. Lance says the reason he enjoys giving tours today is because he remembers the tour that his mom and dad gave to his class when he was in kindergarten. I can still remember that day to this day of how proud I was. The kids always knew that I was maybe the farm expert at our school, so if they did have any questions, they could come to me. Lance adds that it's more than just teaching young kids about dairy cattle and milk production. It's also about teaching the importance of the nutritional value of milk and dairy products. Milk has 13 essential nutrients that we need to drink every day. So anytime that we can educate our youth and teach them a little bit about milk, yogurt, ice cream, cheese, we try to take that uh, opportunity and, and do so. Read more about the educational opportunities that are available for Indiana students through Indiana's Dairy Farms at winnersdrinkmilk.com. You can also read more at hoosieragtoday.com. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. A lot of changes atop the Purdue College of Agriculture. We'll tell you about one upcoming change here in just a moment, but first, Dr. Karen Plout, the former Glenn W. Sample Dean of the Purdue College of Agriculture, was promoted last month by new president, Meng Cheng, to be the university's new executive vice president for research. I caught up with Plout recently at the Purdue Ag Alumni Fish Fry, where she got to catch up with about 1,100 of her closest ag friends. They will continue to be my friends. I love the College of Agriculture. and Even though I'm going on to another job, this is still a really important part of who I am and who we are and what we can do for Purdue University. Plout says she's not done with the College of Agriculture. It will be an integral part of her new role in research. The College of Agriculture is one of the shining stars in research, for sure, when I look across the whole campus. We've got a strong relationship with engineering, which is another shining star. And in this new role, I believe I can help build bigger teams and continue the legacy of Purdue in all these fields that are so important. Under Plout's leadership, the Purdue College of Agriculture climbed the QS World Rankings for Agriculture and Forestry, reaching number four in the U.S. and number eight globally. Plout reflects on her time as Ag Dean. Clearly, I'm really proud of our rankings, but I'm also proud of our students. Our students are in leadership roles in industry, in academia, in the government. Many of ours go into policy and things like that. And to see the accomplishments of our students and our students leading the way is something as a College of Agriculture Dean that I feel really, really proud of. I have to add to that what we do in communities, how we make a difference in communities, really, really important to that legacy. You don't get to be number four in the U.S. and number eight in the world without making a difference on so many levels. Dr. Ken Foster is currently serving as interim dean of the college, 
while what they're calling a global search for a permanent dean is conducted. Now, Purdue Extension will also have new leadership here soon. At the beginning of March, Angela Abbott, the Assistant Dean for Outreach and Engagement for the College of Health and Human Sciences and Associate Director for Purdue Extension, has been named Interim Associate Dean and Purdue Extension Director. This after Dr. Jason Henderson announced earlier this year that he'll be moving on. I've accepted a position as the Vice President of Extension and Outreach at Iowa State University. Um, I begin there April 3rd. Um, it's an opportunity for me to, A, be closer to family, but there's also a lot of opportunities out there from a professional standpoint in that university. Um, I've been here, I'm a Purdue alum, I've been here 10 years, it's been a great ride and a great time, um, but it was just one of those um, opportunities that come along for me to be, A, closer to family and to see, see some different opportunities and, and different things, so looking forward to that. Henderson was raised on a dairy farm in northeast Iowa. He also has twin daughters that play college softball at Iowa. After getting his bachelor's degree from Central College in Iowa, Henderson came to West Lafayette to pursue his master's and doctorate degrees in ag economics. When asked what his time at Purdue has meant to him, Henderson got emotional, saying he was just giving back to a university that gave a lot to him. I'm a boiler baker. We build it one brick higher, and I'm very proud of that. Henderson says he won't be a stranger to the Hoosier State. My son's going to be here going to college. And so there'll be opportunities for me to come here. I'll be, I spend a lot of time at the state fair. I told them now I get to go back um, to be the state fair. Instead of working, I get to enjoy it um, like everybody else does. Uh, this place has given me a lot and uh, just glad I could help have a small impact on this state. Here at Hoosier Ag Today, we wish Henderson and Plout the very best in their new roles. Well, if you got stuck behind a tractor on your way to work this week, well, it was National FFA Week. But it's not just about them driving their tractors to school. It's also about celebrating and recognizing the service that FFA members provide to the community. C.J. Miller has more. It's a great opportunity that you can not only use to grow yourself, but help others. And that's Braden Reamer, an FFA member and senior at Tri-Junior Senior High School south of Newcastle. Braden was one of several FFA members from Tri-High who were on hand Monday as the National FFA organization donated 1,100 travel book pillows that were made during the National FFA convention last November to the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Indiana. We have over 50 families staying with us right now, and, and these book pillows of hope always just really bring a smile to the family's faces when they come in. That's Karen Doe, Director of Operations for the Ronald McDonald House in Indianapolis, which helps support the families of kids who are being treated at the Riley Hospital for Children. They're going through a really difficult time, so if this is something they can grab and, and gives them some comfort, um, it really helps us out. Braden says he's grateful for his service in FFA. It's helped me grow as a person, really, because before I didn't have too many opportunities to go out and just give back to the community, but through FFA I've had a lot, a ton of opportunities to just go out and help people and, you know, help foster growth and help people in need. Read more about National FFA Week and the organization's service to the community at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm C.J. Miller. And with that, you are now up to date on all things Indiana agriculture. Stay that way by visiting us online throughout the week at HoosierAgToday.com and by tuning in each and every weekday to this Hoosier Ag Today station. We'll do this again next weekend. Same hat time, same hat channel. For Andy Eubank, C.J. Miller, Ryan Martin, I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. This has been Hoosier Ag This Week from Hoosier Ag Today.